This episode is brought to you entirely in reverse motion, but is not sponsored by Tenet or Christopher Nolan. <laughs> What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. I am Paul. Welcome back inside our crazy brains. Um, Paul, I don't know about you, but I my brain literally hurt the pretty much the entire time I was watching Tenet. Oh my goodness. As a person who had to review this movie, I felt a little bit bad because... I really didn't understand very much of it at times. I got I got the gist, but man, there was a lot going on. Like even the very beginning scene, I had no idea what was really going on, that, that whole opera scene. But we'll get into that, I'm sure. We'll get into that. Yeah, just for those of you right up front, <laughs> this is the spoiler-free version of our episode relating to Tenet the new Christopher Nolan movie that is dropping in theaters most places around the world. (laughs) But uh, we will drop a separate download that has our full spoiler deep dive on Tenet. So we'll drop both of these at the same time. One will be labeled no spoilers. One will be labeled spoiler cast. So you probably already knew that this one was the no spoiler one (laughs) because you are in the future Compared to me saying this right now, that means you in the future see that the title of the episode says no spoilers. So you already knew before I even gave you this warning. Exactly. Yo, Tenet. Exactly. Paul and I both saw Tenet in an actual physical movie theater. Not the same movie theater as one another, different ones. And and so we wanted to talk about uh, what is this – You know, people keep saying the new normal. I don't like calling it the new normal because I think it's just a temporary, super weird, abnormal, hopefully limited time only experience rather than a new normal experience. But we wanted to bring you coverage from the front line since we were two of the first people to go back into a movie theater in the United States, statistically speaking. Yeah. That puts us in elite, elite territory. It was an interesting experience, actually. I mean, this... This was originally supposed to be one of the big movies of the summer before the whole coronavirus started rolling. Um, We were gearing up for this in April, May, um, and I was already anticipating seeing it, you know, even even when the first trailers came out. Um, Pushed back, pushed off, pushed off, pushed off. And uh, so to actually, after, what, five months go to a theater. It it almost felt like a time travel (laughs) adventure in and of itself. It's like going back to the future. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, I was surprised actually. I I was really interested to see in this advanced screening that we both went to, except at different theaters, whether the theaters were going to be crowded. Were people going to be chomping at the bit to go back to theaters to see a really strong, very hyped first run movie again, or were people sort of going to hang back? And it it felt like I'm not quite sure yet. Um, 
definitely there were there were a lot of empty seats, which you would expect. But I think there were also a lot of unsold seats. Um, in my screening, I wasn't just six feet away from the people closest to me. I, I think they were 20 or 30 feet away. Um, there were some people in the theaters, but it did feel very sparsely attended from what I was expecting for a movie like Tenet. Did you have the same experience? Mine sounds like it was a little bit more moderate in the in-between. Um, yes, there were seats that were empty because they weren't sold, but it was also a decent crowd, but it, it was still very different from, for example, this theater that I went to has long done early screenings of films for certain films throughout the year that they allow the general person to pay for and get to. And they typically sell out within an hour or two of sending that email. Right. Right. Like if you, like if me as a subscriber to their email list, you know, they send it at 5 PM and I'm checking it at 7:30 PM and I go to find a seat. Sorry. All of our screenings are sold out. And as I was, you know, weighing my options and looking at the possibility of going to this early screening, because I saw the email that they were going to be doing these early screenings for Tenet, um, I I at first like went expecting not to find any tickets and then found, oh, most of the seats are oh, available or showing as available. And then as I was trying to arrange my schedule and all that, like it took me longer. It took me a couple of days to finally decide, okay, I am going to do this. And I came back and there were still like great seats available for all of the showings. Um, And so I was able to have, you know, get a seat in my preferred, pretty much my preferred spot. Which is where? Right. I like to be like in the back row. Yeah. Close to the middle. Yeah. And, and I got to be in the back row close to the middle. Wow. I like to be able to survey the entire screen without having to crane my neck up or down. Yeah. Yeah. Just get the lay of the land. And so that was cer- that certainly to me indicates that there was less demand than I expected. And I was a little surprised by that, given the fact that we live in what is largely a conservative town that has largely eschewed things like masks and uh, bans against large gatherings. <laughs> so I, I did expect there to be more people. Yeah, it was interesting. Did you feel at all nervous about going to the screening? Was that something that that you were thinking about at all as you were going? Um, Not for me personally. I think I had to pretty early on from a personal in the pandemic, from a personal standpoint, it was like, I want to do whatever I can to help other people be safe and feel comfortable and, you know, not be an infector of other persons. But I'm also not on a personal level, afraid of getting sick. Part of that stems from being raised by a doctor and working in a doctor's office and being around germs and viruses of all kinds all the time. So I sort of, I think became a little bit um, numb or yeah, sensitized yeah. to, to germs and stuff like that. Uh, and two- It's ironic. You would think you would be overly sensitized in a way, but- all of that to say, I personally wasn't nervous about the health side of things. I wore my mask um, to be respectful of others, and I sat socially distanced from other people. But I will say, I was slightly nervous about the public perception of talking about going, either through like tweeting about it or even talking about it here on the podcast. 
Yeah, that is an interesting thing. I, uh, I, I didn't even think about that. But when I did tweet, I didn't tweet about Tenet actually, but I tweeted about the another movie that I saw like a few days earlier that I was reviewing, and got a lot of messages saying stay safe be good. You know, I, I think that there was a, a heightened level of concern. I didn't get any blowback um, because people on Twitter are super, super nice. <laughs> Very but, reasonable as a whole. <laughs> but I, I, I do think that there was an awareness that I was surprised about, you know, and I, I think that, that part of it is because I like you, I've, I've been wearing a mask everywhere everywhere. But at the same time, I have not been able to completely isolate myself. I mean, my my wife and I still go out on the weekends to do some shopping at Home Depot or whatnot. And it feels like it, it, for my own sanity, it's just nice to get out. I can't yeah. do uh, some socially responsible public activities. Exactly. And you're careful about it all. And, and the movie experience felt like just sort of the next step, right? Um, I knew that there was going to be a lot of distance between people, um, so I wasn't too worried about that. One thing, though, that that I was very aware of as I sat down, it, like when, when I bought my ticket, they said, do you want any any uh, any concessions? Do you want any food or drink? And I said, no, no, because I never do that. I And I sat down and I thought to myself, man, all of a sudden I'm really thirsty. And I thought about the drinking fountain and I said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Didn't want to go back to the concession stand for some odd reason, because I told these people I wasn't going to concession. <laughs> I can't come back. Me. You know, they would, they would laugh at me or whatnot. So uh, I wound up, I wound up just suffering through tenant for two and a half hours, dying of thirst. It was, it was miserable. The other thing, of course, that I noticed was that in these movie theaters, you wear your mask for the entire time. I wear glasses most of the time in the evening. Oh, my goodness. It's it is hard to review a movie when your glasses continually fog up. You know, it's just you feel like you're you feel like you're Darth Vader, first of all. And and every time you breathe out, then all this fog just descends over your head. So there, there may be things that I completely missed in Tenet because I actually physically couldn't see them. I, one of the things I was curious about was, of course, they're saying, please wear a mask if you're going to come. You know, different states have mask requirements, including Colorado in these public areas. I was curious, though, to see how the theater would or would not be enforcing Mm-hmm. That it, once you were in your seat, of course, um, different when you're coming through entry points and they can see easily. But I wondered if they might like they do at uh, some of these press screenings that we go to where they have people security patrol the audience to try to make sure nobody's recording the the movie illegally. If they would be using their ushers to do the same thing to see if people were taking their masks off without eating or drinking um, at the theater I went to, I did not see any such patrolling. Yeah, and and so most people, I couldn't see everybody, but it seemed like most people ended up just sitting there not wearing their masks, whether or not they were eating or drinking, because there was nobody patrolling. But I was curious to see if there was anybody patrolling at the theater you were at. 
You know, honestly, I don't recall seeing anybody, but the movie was... Your, your glasses were fogged up. Uh, my glasses were fogged up. If someone came by, I probably wouldn't have been able to see them. All this kind of stuff. I do think at the, at the other movie that I saw, um, The New Mutants, which is not worth seeing, by the way, just to let everybody know. Um, I do think there were people patrolling. I, I think that I did see a few people, uh, some some ushers. Now, whether they were actually looking for masks specifically or whether they were just making sure that no one was, you know, doing something weird in the seats or something, um, I don't know. I, I think that typically when I've gone to actual movies that, that are fall outside of the, the press screenings that we go to, I I usually notice an usher maybe every half hour walk through just to make sure that, you know, there's not a food fight or something going on in there. Yeah. That's what they're looking for. <laughs> you censored me so much on the last episode. I'm trying to keep it clean this time. That's good. Uh, I have to say being back in a movie theater was pretty great though. Even <laughs> everything else told, would you concur with that? It was good. It was good. You know, for me, um, movies have literally been a huge part of my life uh, and an intrinsic part of my life for for a dozen years now. And they've always been a, a big, important part of my life well before that. I've always enjoyed movies. And, and to actually go and see a movie like Tenet, which works really well on a big screen, um, it was super enjoyable. I mean, it felt, this is going to sound weird, but it felt like I was coming home in a way. You know, you sit down in the seats, the movie scrolls up, um, you're there with your little pen and your little piece of paper. Not that you do that, but not that most people do that, but that's what I do. And there was something comforting about being back in a theater. Yeah, it's it's just different when you're watching a big blockbuster action film and you can feel your seat rumbling in critical moments from the bass in the speakers and everything. And you can feel your heart, literally, you can feel the thumping of punches and fistfights yeah. and uh, battle scenes and the concussion of explosions. It just fundamentally changes the experience. And I've seen that other times. You know, for me, it 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 came home because I remember I didn't get to see Inception in theaters and I had to wait till it was out on video. And I didn't like Inception as much as everybody else that saw it in theaters raved about it. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I get that it's cerebral and all that kind of stuff. But eh, the, the experience just wasn't there for me. And this one, I feel like is going to be very much the same that you're, those who wait and see it on video – like, yeah, it's, it was high concept or whatever, but it doesn't all work together and uh, it was okay. Seeing it in theaters, you're just – Christopher Nolan is a master at the big screen. Right. right. He makes his movies for the big sc- the biggest screen. He loves the IMAX and the huge speakers and just drawing the whole body, I think, of a viewer into the experience. And that was a fun reminder sitting inside Tenet. Um, yeah. and getting that experience. You know, it's interesting as you talk about that, it makes me wonder how different, you know, the next big movie that's quote unquote coming out is Mulan, except it's not coming out. It's coming to Disney plus. You're just going to be able to rent it. 
that is another one of those movies that you would think ordinarily deserves big screen treatment. You're talking about this very dramatic story um, with potentially a, a, a huge, huge cast of people who are going to be involved in it. You know, there's battle scenes, there's there's dramatic scenery, all this kind of stuff. It seems to call out for big screen treatment. Is it going, what is it going to lose being on the small screen? And yeah. is there a chance that Disney might actually send it back out to the big screen after a bit, just for, just for that experience. Yeah. I'm very curious to find out because I've had those same thoughts after Disney announced, Hey, we're going to do this. It's only on Disney plus, but only if you pay an extra 30 bucks to watch it. And I was already kind of sitting on the fence one because my, most of my kids are still too young for a PG 13 war movie, which the trailers seem to indicate it is. And two, it's like part of the reason I shell out ten, twenty, thirty dollars, depending on how many people I'm taking to a movie theater, is for that experience. Is for the the massive screen, the big speakers, the sound pulsating through your body. It's just different. And after having watched Tenet in theaters and being reminded of how different it is, I do feel. I was sitting on the fence. I felt like I was pushed off the fence into it's not worth it to pay an extra 30 bucks when I'm not getting that experience. I'll wait until I can get it cheaper. It's, it's a really fascinating thing because I, I think before I saw tenant, I was also sort of wondering, is this, is, is COVID going to change how we view movies? I think we've even talked about it on, on, on this podcast and, and, you can see it going both ways where you, you think about the conveniences you have at home. You think about the big screen and the noise and all that sort of stuff that you have in the theater. Um, You can see pluses and minuses to both. But at the same time, one of the things that I was very aware of both, both in Tenet and in the new mutants is, and granted I was actually working. So there's a, there's a different level of concentration that that requires. But I think that even for most people, when you're in the theater, you're there and it's about the movie. When you're at home, if the movie starts dragging, you're pulling out your phone, you're grabbing snacks, you're doing all this other stuff. You might be pausing it to talk with somebody about something or other. Um, There's all these distractions and Sometimes you will yourself out of the place that the that the movie creator wants to put you in. Um, that's that's not very good for storytelling. It's not good for the movie, and it's not good for you as a person trying to process the movie. I think that there is something unique about going to a theater to see a story play big, and. Now that I've been back to see that experience and be reminded of that experience, I appreciate it on a whole new level. Yeah. Yeah. For all the talk about whether or not the movie theaters will continue to be a draw in a post-pandemic context, um, I don't think it's the medium itself that will struggle to get people back. Now, whether or not the theaters can survive the economic impact of the pandemic itself and what the timetable is until that post pandemic, those will be the factors that kill off the movie theater. I think 
if if that were to happen, not the draw of the theater itself. Like that was reinforced for me. I wondered, is this is this going to feel? Am I going to think not? It was, this was a pre, this is no longer a thing we need. No, I was reminded that this is a, a thing that has, you know, quite an immense draw to it. And I think the strength of the theater is still there. Um, but I am curious to see how it does shape what types of content are there, especially as, you know, we had a ruling this summer from, I forget which, uh, government entity or court that, struck down an old law about movies not be, or about production companies not being able to have deals with movie theaters and package deals and all this and or not being able to own or have a financial stake in theaters and theater chains that's been around Hollywood for a while that's been struck down now so i think we are in for a reshaping of what types of movies hit theaters um but i don't think theaters themselves are going anywhere yeah yeah that'll be an interesting thing to watch actually, because that'll get us back to the 1920s when when many movie studios own their own line of theaters. But that's another podcast for another time. It is. I will say one thing that I wouldn't hate sticking around in the post-pandemic context is buying a ticket and for no extra charge, blocking out for two seats on either side of them. <laughs> I totally agree with that. It's like, totally. it's nice. It's nice having other people in the theater to enjoy the experience with you, but not, you know, where you're rubbing literal elbows with somebody you've never met and trying to, you know, argue over who gets the armrest. So to have that baked in at no extra cost, you know, I I wouldn't mind if that part stuck around post-pandemic. Wouldn't that be nice? I think the theaters would disagree with you, but I concur. Yeah, as a user experience, I'm all in. Also... Just no middle seats in airplanes anymore, ever. No middle seats. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, so enough, I think that's enough talking about the, the theater experience and pop culture in a pandemic. Now it's time, I think, to dive into a spoiler-free version of our chat about Tenet. Not to be confused with Tenant, whether David or the guy in the apartment across the hall from you. It's a Christopher Nolan movie dropped in summer 2020 in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic in theaters around the world, except not everywhere. We just spent a little bit of time talking about the theater aspect of it, but now it's time to talk about the actual film itself. A Christopher Nolan joint, as it were. Yes, yes. I'm kind of excited about this conversation to uh, to talk about, you know, a really substantial movie. This is quite the way to sort of break the seal on big 2020 movies, you know, because as as I think I mentioned, this was a this was going to be the big one of the big blockbusters summer movies, a little bit more cerebral, cerebral than some that we're used to. I mean, Christopher Nolan is nothing if not a little bit uh, intense with his movies. Um, so it was quite the experience to step into the theater and let this be the intro- the reintroduction back to movie going proper. And 
as I talked in the segment before, sitting in a movie theater forces you to pay more attention to the actual movie. And for Tenet, that is probably a very, very, very good thing because I only understood about 70% of it anyway. If I was watching at home, <laughs> who knows? Who knows how much I would have understood? Yeah, not just because of the frenetic pace of the film, but also because it seems to be coming more and more clear to me that Christopher Nolan has a thing for including characters who this dialogue you can hardly understand. Oh, whether there's it's, that too. <laughs> whether it's Bane or a few characters in this movie who have um, accents, but also have a lot of complex dialogue in these accents um made it difficult to where you're okay i think i i still i understand where we're going but i didn't understand any of the details they just gave <laughs> exactly you understood the good guys you understood the bad guys you understood it had a lot to do with time beyond that wow it was it was tricky actually jake i really want to hear you recap this movie if you could give us like a thumbnail explanation of what this movie is about that that would be helpful to me and then i might have to rewrite my review based on what oh, you say oh good well i i think of it in two different ways one is i found the perfect visual representation that summarizes tenet in a gif and i'll pull it up for paul as i describe it to the listeners um but you can find it on my twitter account because i did post it there but it's a scene from jack well, now I've got to censor myself. Now you've right? got to censor yourself. Beep. Where called the bungee jump stunt, wherein uh, you have a little person jump off of a pier while his bungee cord is attached to a much larger person. And he hits the end of the bungee and the big person comes off behind him, passes him as the, the little person is on his way back up. The big person hits the water, slingshots the little person into the water, and then the gif very satisfyingly rewinds so that the little person shoots back out of the water, and then the big person does, and they pass each other in reverse order and gently alight at the top of the platform before um, you know, plummeting back down. And Paul, when you look at that visual, is that not the most perfect no context spoiler summary <laughs> of tenet it really is it really is you can totally picture john david washington and robert pattinson doing that very stunt in this movie the bungee jumping the diving into the water the reversing of time the forward motion of time it's like once you've seen the movie go watch that gif and be like this movie yeah. this bungee jump stunt from Jackass, predicted tenant. Even even the bungee cord itself, the fact that it's stretching and pulling and snapping and flinging, that's pretty much the way moviegoers feel after watching Tenet. Yeah, it works on so many levels. But for a verbal thumbnail of Tenet, essentially you have an individual, your movie's protagonist, who is thrust into a world with only a word and a hand gesture. And the word is tenant, right? We've seen that in the trailer. And he is then ushered through a story wherein increasingly things get odd and people behave and their bodies behave in unique ways. And he learns that 
time is people are communicating through time in an odd and yet oddly analog way. And that ultimately the very existence of mankind is being threatened. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. You don't mess around with time. That is the main moral of this story. Or if you do, be aware that some bad, bad things can happen. You do it forever. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, in Christopher Nolan has a thing about time. You know, the, the Memento, the movie that put him on the map, was essentially a story told in reverse. Dunkirk, his classic World War II story, um, features three separate timelines. There's there's always these huge time elements, it seems like, in, in, in most of his movies. And he really just enjoys messing with audiences' minds. You know, this is... A, this is I said in my review, this might not be the best Christopher Nolan movie, but it might be his craziest. It might be the the hardest to follow. I think that that Inception definitely has some some difficult points to to sort of walk through. This one, time 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 travel is always very confusing. No matter what you do, unless you deal with it on the most superficial, silly level. Even even when we were watching. Uh, Avengers Endgame, it felt pretty convoluted. This one, Christopher Nolan embraces that convolution in in a respect and, and sort of dabbles with all the weird paradoxes that are that are part of these time travel stories. And it feels both like a very, very smart movie and like a movie that potentially, if you actually knew the science behind it, might not make a lick of sense whatsoever. Um, it's it's it was a really fascinating movie to watch, actually. Yeah, you watch the movie, and the whole time you do feel very dumb because <laughs> they're talking about all these concepts and they're moving and they're doing so in such a matter of fact way that it manages to make you to have you sort of march along like the emperor with no clothes advisors saying, yep, yep. Got it. I'm with you. Let's keep going. Keep the story rolling. I'm, I'm with you. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. And then you get out and you start to analyze it and you start to pull at the threads and you're like, I'm not dumb. The movie doesn't make any sense. And Christopher Nolan is a wizard. He's a warlock. <laughs> It made me realize something about Christopher Nolan and his style of filmmaking. This one about that I think he does in general, but is became readily apparent to me. And I don't know how I didn't see it before, but Christopher Nolan is a stage magician whose stage is a movie, is a movie screen. He is a master at sleight of hand and out talking and telling a story and capturing your attention with his left hand while he's using his right hand to slap you across the face and make you think that there's a ghost behind you. Right. And, or make you think that your best friend did it or whatever. He manipulates you as the audience to look where he wants you to look, to think how he wants you to think before revealing something that then you feel like, Whoa, my mind is blown and it was there all along and it doesn't make any sense. And yet he's so masterful with the sleight of hand and his craft and his visuals and his storytelling. 
that you're the one left feeling like, boy, I'm the I'm the dumb brute who can't figure this thing out. <laughs> I think that's a great observation, you know, and, and I, it makes it reminds me of The Prestige, which some people consider to be Christopher Nolan's best movie. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's it's definitely one of his least watched movies, but he does have a fascination with magic. And I think you are really onto something there. He's sort of the cinematic version of Harry Houdini, where he has these wonderful sleights of hands. He has these fantastic illusions and he is in a way an escape artist. He ties himself and he ties his plots in knots and somehow he manages to escape. Now, interestingly enough, I think in this one, there were some points that you're absolutely right. When you're talking about the actual plot, it feels like it holds together surprisingly well, even though you don't know what's going on. But there are moments where I'm thinking there, there are, there are things that are happening that you really should know what's going on. And Christopher Nolan is so fascinated by this convoluted plot of his that he forgets to tell you some important details that would help. Um, I, I mentioned at the very top of this, the, the opera, the yep. opera scene. It's the very first action scene that you see. And you have these terrorists who are putting bombs underneath seats. And um, the protagonist is part of this group that's sort of attack or, or, or infiltrating the, the opera house. But all throughout that scene, there are people who... I, I had no idea who was doing what. It was it was really, really confusing. Well, it seems like Nolan, and, and they tie it all the way back around at the very end of the film. They do. to that opera scene that you're talking about in such a way that it feels like the magician, Christopher Nolan, is saying, aha, have you been confounded by my trick? If you pay 15 more dollars and watch my movie again, it will all make sense. And so the real trick that he's done is forced us to pay twice to watch his movie. <laughs> and then be like, yeah, now I get it. He's like, you'll only understand the first time you watch this movie after you've watched it a second time. <laughs> That's, I think there is some truth to that. The, 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 the thing where Christopher Nolan excels as a magician is when he forces you to pay attention to something while he's doing something else. The opera scene felt like a magician who is trying to play a card trick on you. And then all of a sudden pulls out an air horn and just <laughs> pushes the button like for 30 seconds. <laughs> it felt, it felt cheating. Yeah. And, and that's where I, I totally get that. And I actually saw this movie with Tim Nestor, friend of the show, socially distanced. He sat several seats away from me. Uh, but he he's, he said something similar about the first he in his, in his opinion sort of like the first third or so maybe even half of the movie where he thought it felt like they were cutting things like he's like it almost felt to me like they were leaving had left some stuff on the cutting room floor and and I just couldn't make sense of anything because they had left stuff out right and so right. sort of similarly it's like did he cheat just by like ha I'm not gonna tell you and then at the end I'm gonna tell you it all made sense even though it really didn't. Right, right. And I I had the same feeling with Neil, the 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 Robert Pattinson character. We won't we won't go into too much detail because he's a critical character. Um and he's meant to be mysterious, right? Right. But at the same time, he's introduced essentially he just sort of drops in the middle of a scene 
And all of a sudden, there he is, part of the plot. It, the protagonist doesn't really get an introduction to him. Neil is just there, and he is running and gunning with everything else. And it, it felt like, it felt like, as a viewer, I wanted just a few more moments of, of basic plot handholding in some of those moments where I could have, I could have used just a little more understanding of, of where this guy was supposed to come from, you know? Yeah. Where we often will get mad at movies for being so on the nose that they tell us, Hey, the question is two plus two. And the answer is four. <laughs> was all, there were a few moments where it's like, Hey, you didn't even tell us what the question was. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right. And then you're like, yeah, but you're the idiot for not knowing. And that's Christopher Nolan's magic. Like, even when he does stuff like that, you're left thinking, you know what? I'm probably the chump here. Like, he knows what he's doing. I'm the idiot. Well, and it is a really smart movie. And and the other thing it does really well is it's a fantastic action flick, right? Yeah. It has some fantastic special effects. They're, they almost feel subtle compared to, you know, the explosions we're used to seeing in... in superhero movies or even to the the weird folding worlds of inception right um but they're really effective that 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 when time reverses it feels it feels cool it just feels cool um and and it keeps you on the edge of your seat when stuff like that is happening with all of that said paul where would you rank tenet on a scale of one to ten wow that's really tough. I So let me actually just say a couple of other things. I thought right. Kenneth Branagh was an amazing, amazing villain. I will also say that although Christopher Nolan makes some really strong movies, sometimes they feel chilly to me. Like they're so cerebral that they keep you at a distance. Yeah. His best movies don't do that. Like Dunkirk didn't do that. The Dark Knight series didn't do that for me. Um but this one did. It felt like I was watching it at a little bit of a remove where you were thinking so much that you didn't have a chance to feel. And because of that, I think that I still thought it was really entertaining. I would give it a solid seven. But in terms of Christopher Nolan movies, I'd just rank it in the middle of the pack. Yeah. What now, similarly – as a movie theater experience, you know, and of course this is going to be somewhat colored by the fact that it was a return to the theater for me. I really, as a, an experience would put it at like an eight and a half. I had a blast watching this on the big screen and I thought it worked really well in that format. When I think about, all right, if I watch this without the emotion of returning to the theater, without the bombastic, you know, theater experience in general, I probably would have given, I'd probably give it, yeah, seven, seven and a quarter, maybe, um, in terms of, yeah, you know what? It is a fine movie. You have the opportunity to watch it, enjoy it, don't think about it, and you'll have a lot of fun with it. But there's other Nolan movies I'd recommend higher and rank a lot higher, whether it's The Dark Knight or The Prestige or Memento, films like that. There, it's not the one I would start somebody at in the Nolan canon. Yeah, I, I do think it is it is quintessential Nolan in some ways. It gives you everything that stereotypically, like if you were going to to throw certain directors in a box, 
this would definitely fit very snugly within the Nolan box. It has everything that you would expect. The special effects, the weird convoluted plot, the messing with physics, um, it's the, the great set pieces, some really strong performances too. It, it does feel like very quintessential Nolan. But for me, quintessential Nolan isn't necessarily the most enjoyable movie experience for me out there. Yeah. So there you go. There you have it. Tenet, have, uh, you know, got any questions or when you do see this, are you ready to talk to us about it? We're on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. And now it's time for the most least important thing. We are the most least important thing the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours making mountains from molehills taking the the sky scraping giants of the earth the dirt that's towering and scraping the sky and we reduce it down to anthills or molehills you know or it's mostly just this this segment is mostly just me trying to come up with a new way to talk about making mountains out of molehills and vice versa. But that's what we do in the most least important thing. We take something from pop culture and we inflate it or reduce it however we so choose. And uh, I'm going to kick us off today. All right. I'm excited for this. I, I just saw this news bit that seems to me to indicate that perhaps Iron Man is getting his wings. What? In that in Los Angeles, just recently, two separate pilots, one with American Airlines and one with JetBlue Airways, saw or reported seeing to air traffic control at LAX, a man in a jetpack flying at 3,000 feet above the city of Los Angeles near Los Angeles International Airport. Nobody so far, and maybe this will have changed by the time this episode drops, but in all the research I've done so far, they have not yet identified how it would be possible for a man in a jetpack to be cruising at 3,000 feet up in the air. That One of the air, uh, air pilots indicated that it, he thought the individual was about 300 yards away from him in the air at 3,000 feet above the city. Um, they have not identified who it was. And although there are jetpacks in existence that can achieve that level of flight, most of them cost in the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And so they're not the thing that your average everyday Joe has lying around, which would seem to indicate some Tony Stark wannabe is, <laughs> is trying to, you know, get his pilot wings and, but just got a little out of his depth by flying too close to these pilots over LAX. Very interesting. You weren't in Los Angeles any time recently, were you? I'll never tell. Mm. All right, all right. That but, is you know, there is millions of dollars somewhere in my family tree, so <laughs> if I happen to be in the Los Angeles area recently and my family tree's resources happen to be slightly depleted, people could put two and two together. Then we know. I've always wanted a jetpack. So I was really debating what to do for my most least important thing, to be honest with you, because um, I could go with something a little bit more newsy, a, uh, a new trailer for a, a, 
a, a movie about essentially a satire on the Christian movie industry. Just I saw this. A Prayer in Space uh, is the name of the fictional movie. It sounds like that'll be a very interesting flick, but I didn't want to use that for my most least important thing today because there is something better and it is completely pointless and yet I have to talk about it. I got lost. You know how the internet has certain rabbit trails that you fall in, into or rabbit holes that you fall into? Lewis Carolian rabbit holes, if you will. Yes. It felt like I had fallen into a Christopher Nolan movie because I lost a lot of time looking at bootleg toys. Have bootleg you heard? toys? Yes, bootleg toys. Like from Sid's house? <laughs> Not quite, but essentially copyright laws, once you go overseas, get to be a little bit flexible, which means that overseas toy manufacturers, often from China, make some very curiously interesting um, toys based <laughs> clearly on American properties. Um I saw a a little doll for Special Man. Special Man. There is a Mexican action figure called El Supermano. Ooh. There is... <laughs> I just can't help myself. There, there is this, this action figure called Robert Cop. Not Robo. <laughs> Robert Cop. Oh, it's it just goes on and on and on. There's a Barbie called Benign Girl, whatever that's supposed to mean. There's a Godzilla toy called Big Fella. But my <laughs> favorite, my favorite by far, is the Sense of Right Alliance. The, the what? The Sense of Right Alliance. Is that supposed to be the Justice League? Well, sort of. So apparently the sense of right alliance comes with six action figures and they, and they sort of fluctuate from, from box to box depending. Um, but the one that I am looking at now has Superman and Batman and Spider-Man and Shrek <laughs> and a mighty Morphin power ranger and some sort of sponsored car. Oh, like just, I, I think it's meant to be Lightning McQueen, but I'm not sure. It's just, I I really, really, really want this toy. Like, so, Lightning McQueen, but it's St Sky Dagger McGillicuddy. <laughs> it just, it looks great. So I, I say this because although it's, as we record this, it's just barely September. But it's never too early to start considering Christmas gifts it's for true. podcast co-hosts. How much do these things run and where can I buy them? Well, I, I have no information on that. I think that you might have to go to China to pick one up. But oh. given our long, our long relationship on this podcast, I think it's the least you could do. True. You know, pay the extra taxes for importing them from China. Exactly. And let me just remind you, sense of right alliance sense of right alliance and you want the one with the shrek doll in it yes needs to have the shrek doll mighty Morphin power rangers spider-man batman yeah. el supermano that was 
yeah, I, I thought that that would be the one that I would buy for you if I could, but I'm, I'm cheap. I will not probably do that. It's like that scene in Lego movie two, where they talk about how they have this knockoff of Mary Poppins called Larry Poppins. <laughs> it's this like balding British dude. who's like a spoonful of salt makes the medicine go down. <laughs> so I just found another one. This is a great one. Um, there's, it's a doll of, of it looks like Jason, you know, hockey mask, the whole bit. Yeah. Action figure toy made for ages four to nine with a machete. It's labeled Fisher Price Adventure People Killers. That, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my word. That sounds really great. Brought to you by Rick and Morty. <laughs> Fisher Price Adventure Times with People Killers. And then, here's okay one last one one last one star night star night is that conjure in your in your brain like star lord is what i think of yeah well it's not it's it's darth vader on a police motorcycle Ooh. it's training wheels with training wheels that makes sense it's probably hard to see in that mask that peripheral vision you need Need help with those you need, corners. You need the training wheels. Yeah, if you can't find sense of right alliance, I would I would be satisfied with with, uh, with Star Knight. With Star Knight. Yeah. There you have it. That about does it for this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All, and now Bootleg Toys. <laughs> this episode is not sponsored by the government of China. Uh, in the meantime, you can catch up with us on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I am at AC Paul. And until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.